Let's Be Frank is a podcast centered on interpreting the life of Benjamin Franklin and the times that shaped his thoughts and soul. Some content may not be appropriate for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings and salutations, dear listener. Welcome to another installment of Let's Be Frank, an auditory almanac for the curious mind, with me, your sagacious friend and host, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. I hope, dear listener, you've digested the subject matter of our last conversation in a way beneficial to you, and that it was no great course of indigestion. This week, we're going to take a break from the lofty ideals and the architecture of revolution, and we're simply going to tell stories. And for purposes of good order, this podcast is composed of several primary sources associated with Ben Franklin's life, knit together with original writing to collect it all into one narrative on a cohesive theme. Today's episode is about deriving good from life. It's about humility and it's about whistles made of tin. Dear listener, whether it's the particular disposition of the climate, or a simple surge of boyish energy, but I have lately found myself with a rare surplus of energy, and a desire to be moving and out of doors. It's a wonderfully convenient thing for a man to be a reasoning creature, since it enables one to find or make a reason for anything one has a mind to do. This past Saturday, I awoke. I carried myself through my customary ablutions and writings, and upon my man Peter opening the window to let in the morning breeze, I was all at once overcome with the need to move. Now, dear listener, if you are anything like me, and I make no presumption that you are, I hold far too much respect for you, when such impetus arises, if it is not acted upon quickly, that impetus should quickly dissipate and leave one simultaneously sedentary and abashed for being so. So, this particular morning, I answered the call. I arose in a flash, I dressed, I gave Peter and his Jemima the liberty of the morning to see to their own affairs, I dressed, I popped off to market with a distinct jaunt in my step that no doubt gave my dear Deborah no small cause for alarm, apoplexy and exuberance sometimes being indistinguishable amongst old men. Now, dear listener... You will find few places more alive upon a Saturday morning than the market house of 18th century North America. Why, I suspect a person out of time might, in spending a morning a silent spectator to the comings and goings of those bustling hubs of community, learn everything they need to know of the times, customs, and morals of a place. Now this morning, I savored it all and took no small amount of delight in seeing the befuddled expression on the faces assembled that a man of both my age and notoriety should be bearing the baskets for the whole of my household and grinning maniacally all the while. I was very liberal with my good days, my good mornings, my how-do-you-fares and how-do-you-do's, when suddenly I was interrupted by the sweetest sound upon the wind. A young boy sitting upon a hogshead barrel in the northwest corner of the market, 
was playing a tune upon a ten-penny whistle. It was Flowers of Edinburgh, a favorite tune in the canon of country dances. Now, dear listener, I have a particular, shall we say predilection, and fondness for the music of the Scottish Highlands, and that fondness, coupled by the particular levity I was feeling, compelled me all at once to empty all the remaining coppers in my pocket into the boy's chapeau. He, being elated at the sudden influx of wealth, all at once began to play with renewed vigor, and I took the utmost advantage of that moment to dance. Oh, and dear listener, I danced. I kimshold, I chantroost, I pot a parade, I pulled a muscle, and I laughed. A deep laugh that takes root at the bottom of the belly and bubbles out entirely unobstructed. And in that next moment, well, I felt a sort of freedom. I felt perfectly myself, perfectly right, and I have often said, a right heart exceeds all. I gave not a whistle for the strange wayward looks of the passer-by, the whispered judgments of the gentility of Philadelphia society. After all, he that would live in peace and at ease must not speak all he knows or judge all he sees. In living in that moment, I drew all the goodness one can from life. In my opinion, we might all draw more good from it than we do, and suffer less evil, if we would take care not to give too much for whistles. For to me, it seems, the most of the unhappy people we meet with are become so by neglect of that caution, and give far too much for their whistles. No doubt you're wondering what I mean. Well, dear listener, I know you love stories, so you will excuse me telling one myself. I spent my childhood in Boston, Massachusetts, now, when I was a boy of seven-year-old, my friends, on a particular holiday season, filled my pocket to the brim with coppers. I could hardly take a step without the accompanying jingle putting me in the mind of carriage bells. And so, I galloped directly to a local mercantile shop where they sold toys for children. I amused myself with all the baubles, bilbo catchers, stick and hoops, games of shut-the-box, and fine porcelain dolls from the Italies and France, when all at once I heard a siren sound similar to the one I heard upon last Saturday. There was another boy who was playing a whistle in the corner of the store. Oh, I loved the music it made. I was charmed by the sound, and of all the enticements in that store, nothing enticed me more than that simple instrument of tin. I went to the boy, and I voluntarily offered and gave all of my money for it, and I whistled all the way home. I then came home, and I whistled some more. All over the house I whistled, much pleased with my melodies, and my family hated it. They were very much disturbed, my brothers and sisters and cousins undertaking and understanding the bargain I had made, told me I had given four times as much for it as it was worth, and it put me in the mind of what good things I might have bought with the rest of that money, and they laughed at me so much for my folly that all at once I cried with vexation, and the reflection gave me more chagrin than the whistle gave me pleasure. Well, that's... Not so much a happy story, but here's to the point. This, however, was afterwards of use to me. 
the impression continuing on my mind so often when I was tempted to buy some unnecessary thing, I said to myself, don't give too much for the whistle, and saved my money. As I grew up, came into the world, and observed the actions of men, I thought I met with many, very many, who gave too much for their whistle. When I saw one too ambitious of court favor, sacrificing his time in attendance on levies, his repose, his liberty, his virtue, and perhaps his friends to attain it, I have said to myself, this man gives too much for his whistle. When I saw another fond of popularity, constantly employing himself in political bustles, neglecting his own affairs, and ruining them by neglect, he pays, indeed, said I, too much for his whistle. If I knew a miser who gave up every kind of comfortable living, all the pleasures of doing good to others, all the esteem of his fellow citizens, and the joys of benevolent friendship for the sake of accumulating wealth, poor man, said I, you pay too much for your whistle. When I met with a man of pleasure, sacrificing every laudable improvement of the mind or of his fortune to mere corporeal sensation, and ruining his health in their pursuit, mistaken man, said I, you are providing pain for yourself instead of pleasure. You give too much for your whistle. If I see one fond of appearance, or fine clothes, fine houses, fine furniture, fine equipage, all above his fortune, for which he contracts debts and ends his career in a prison, alas, say I, he has paid very dear for his whistle. When I see a beautiful, sweet-tempered girl married to an ill-natured brute of a husband, what a pity, say I, that she should pay so much for a whistle. In short, dear listener, I conceive that great part of the miseries of mankind are brought upon them by the false estimates they have made of the value of things, and by their giving too much for their whistles. Yet I ought to have charity for these unhappy people, when I consider that, with all this wisdom of which I have been boasting, there are certain things in the world so tempting. Why, if an entire bushel of apples in their prime season of ripeness were put to sale by auction at this moment, I might very easily be led to ruin myself in the purchase, and find that I had once more given too much for my whistle. Well, it is now more than sixty years since I left Boston, but I remember fondly the friendships made of young boys who, for no other reason than love and fraternity, would line a poor boy's pockets with copper. In many ways, they were greater family to me than my own, and made much of who I am today more than any apprenticeship or academic institution. After all, a brother may not always be a friend, but a friend will always be a brother. I remember with equal fondness my enemies. I have made it a habit in life to endeavor to love my enemies, for after all, they tell me my faults. Now, an early rivalry of my life was with the notorious Cotton Mather of Massachusetts. And Mather was a prolific amongst the Puritan Congregationalists of that province. He's perhaps best known for his role in the Salem Witch Trials, but he was also a prolific writer. He wrote hundreds of works in his time on theology, science, history, and medicine. He was revered by some and lampooned by others. 
After my apprenticeship with my brother James had concluded, and I had planted my roots in Philadelphia, on a brief return trip to Boston in 1724, I paid a visit to the aged Mather where I received a lesson I will never forget. Mather received me in his library, a dizzying room with so many volumes of books it may have, to my mind, been the lost library of Alexandria, with the benefit of a less incendiary environment for one to study. Now, upon taking my leave, he showed me a shorter way out of the house through a narrow passage, which was crossed by a beam overhead. We were still talking as I withdrew, he accompanying me behind, and as I turned partly towards him, he said, Stoop! Stoop! I did not understand him, till I felt my head hit against the beam. He was a man that never missed an occasion of giving instruction, and upon this he said to me, Franklin, you are young, and have the world before you. Stoop as you go through it, and you will miss many hard thumps. This advice, thus beat into my head, has frequently been of use to me, and I often think of it when I see pride mortified and misfortunes brought upon people by their carrying their heads too high. Combining these two stories, we find a good deal of wisdom, dear listener. When we meet the world and keep our heads stooped in humility, we can avoid colliding with a great many of life's lessons in unpleasant ways. But I think there's an even greater lesson we can derive from today's installment. All of us, no matter the times we might live in, want to find the formula to living a good life and doing good with the life we have. We search for it in jobs, in accolades and accomplishments. We search for it in love and in possessions. And so much of mankind in the history of the world have intermingled the latter two, love and possession, to the point of their own ruin. But is it not possible that deriving goodness from life has nothing to do with any of these things? That a good life starts inward and works its way out into everything else? A man may spend all he has for a whistle, but until he devotes his time to learning to play it, the fruits of it will only be wind. The truly good things in life can't be purchased with gold, but they can be earned with something far more precious. And I am confident, my beloved Junto, you already have an abundance of it in your possession. I know, at the very least, I am richer for your company. Now I think, dear listener, as we are on the subject of giving too much for whistles, for this to be a perfect time to broach a new initiative we're launching at Let's Be Frank. We are now on what my associates have informed me is Patreon.com. They have taken the liberty of providing the directions to it in the notes on today's episode. Our little almanac and its direction are left entirely in the keep and care of our growing junto. Now, if you like the show and want to take a more active role in our mission to empathetically connect the present with the past, I invite you to explore our Patreon and discern how best you might support the future of Let's Be Frank. We've also established a Venmo, should anyone feel generous enough to make a one-time pledge to support Let's Be Frank, at the address to which can be found in the show notes. Now, continuing on the subject of whistles and giving... We're undertaking our second listener giveaway. 
we're giving away a brand new tin penny whistle for the first listener to pledge at the Leather Apron Legionnaire level of our Patreon. And remember, don't give too much for your whistle. You already have my eternal gratitude for coming on the journey with me to this point. And believe me, dear listener, we still have years and miles ahead of us. That's all for today's installment. Would that we had more hours left in the day, but as always, we have nothing but time between us. As we close, I hope I may again offer this solicitation. We here at Let's Be Frank are always looking for opportunities to travel. Franklin visited two continents and countless states in his lifetime, and here, in 2023, he wants to visit you. If you wish for a live presentation with the good doctor at your theater, your school, your event, simply write to the email inquiries at bfranklinlive.com, and my associates will make good to set up an appointment post-haste. Resources and images from this week's episode can be found in the journal at www.bfranklinlive.com. If you like the show, subscribe and stay up to date with all the latest gossip and news, and do me the kindness of leaving a review. You can follow us on Instagram at bfranklinlive, and, dear listener, spread the word. Tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell your horse, I don't care. Let's make our intellectual junto grow. And now, dear listeners, our time together must come to an end. Fare thee well. And always remember, when you're good to others, you are best to yourself. Until we meet again, I remain your humble and obedient servant, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. Stay curious, my friends.